And then watching their faces as they were preaching, uh, red-faced, um, yelling and screaming. And I, my heart was mixed. It had such pain because they were teaching and sharing things about Jesus Christ, the one who is my Savior. They were sharing things about God, what I believe. But yet they were doing it all the while trying to beat down people and hurt. And I was just confused at seeing this. And it's taken me a while to figure out, what do I think about that? And realizing that this happens commonplace at most controversial things around America. There's usually a group of Christians coming in and they're doing the protest. And the problem I had when watching this is I saw no fruit of the Spirit. I saw a lot of things being presented as truth, but I didn't see a lot of love or joy or peace or patience or kindness or gentleness or self-control. I saw fits of rage, even competition, which speaks of envy. Uh, It had the marks as I've read in Galatians 5, of the works of the flesh versus the fruits of the Spirit. And this is something I've I've been thinking through. What does it mean to be a believer in America and to stand for what's true? But can you stand for what's true and be against truth and how you stand? And as I read in Galatians 5, I'm I'm realizing that's, that's it. We can stand for truth but work against truth by not walking with the Spirit of truth. And the Holy Spirit being filled with the Spirit. And so I want to share with you about confrontation um, this morning because that's our text. Galatians chapter 6. As we're looking at the gospel of grace, we've we've kind of gone through, identified what the gospel of grace is, what the the gospel does, what what it's not. Especially as related to the uh, Judaizing people of Galatia, those, in other words, who who said you have to have the law, you have to have the uh, the Jewish circumcision, you have to go through the rituals, and this, you know, Christ was a good start, but now let's finish it, let's complete it, and and be good Jews, be good followers of Christ by doing these things, and and start trusting in these things. And so Paul is is very adamant in speaking against this that you do not, you cannot be saved by the works of the law. You're saved by the Spirit of God and and, and by trust in Christ and His grace alone. So, rely on that. And as we come to chapter 5, he now is showing us what that looks like. What does it look like to trust in Christ? What does it look like to have the Spirit of Christ in your life? And so he gave us in verse 19 through 26, this contrast of works of the flesh, which is the idea that I've got to make myself look good before God. I'm, I'm a person of value. I'm a person of honor, and I expect people to know that, so i got to show that. i got to show it to God. i got to live this life so that I get the due respect that comes my way. And so it comes out in all types of examples and activities, but at the heart of it is this hunger in yourself that you try to um, satisfy by what you do. And Paul is saying it's not a work of the flesh, because it does lead to these uh, uh, verses 19 through 22, this listing of, of vices. But instead, it's the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, it's a side effect of just being nourished in Jesus Christ. Being nourished in what He's done for you on 
the cross. Uh, what the gospel is to say that God has made you right. He is no longer your judge, but now your father. And he wants you to enter in that son relationship that he sees you right no matter what kind of day you've got. God sees you as right before him, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. And living off of that, the change of heart, but then the spirit coming inside of you and giving you new desires and a new power. Um, we don't read the word of God so that, okay, it'll tell us what to do. And now that the word of God tells us what to do, now I'm going to do it. In fact, what we instead, we read the word of God to show us what Christ has done, what Christ has done. And so with the word of God, now with the spirit of Christ, now becomes the power to do it. It's not just the, the top 10 suggestions or top 10 things to do to make your life better. We read the word of God now and with it because of the gospel of grace is the spirit of God being applied to our life, to our heart. And so when I read a command now, like what we'll read here today, bear one another's burden, it's actually laced with a promise. Do you understand that? The word of God is laced with a promise. So when there's a command, bear one another's burdens, it's also given the power for you to do it through the Holy Spirit. So... With, with that thought in mind, he goes to Galatians chapter 6, given the fruit of the Spirit. And in verse 26 of chapter 5, we've got this idea that, that there's this issue going on. Uh, that there's these, these, well, the church is struggling. Um, notice verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Alright, let's not become conceited, a desire to be given the honor and glory we feel we deserve. Don't, don't think that way uh, of wanting to be noticed so you feel like you, you've got worth. Um, and so that comes out either provoking or envying. That's kind of the church and what they're dealing with. And so he gives the antidote in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. And uh, what I want to present, um, present with you is that the gospel of grace produces bold people. But it also produces bold and humble people, which you're not going to find anywhere else, that combination. But then the gospel of grace produces bold and humble people to love others. And so let's look at that. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. And I'm going to look at this text. And I'm going to show you how the text explains each one of these uh, ideas of what the gospel of grace produces. And so let's read this together. Galatians 6, 1 through 5. And in honor of this being God's word, let's stand as we read this together. So let me start with verse 26. Let us not become conceited. Provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. You may be seated. A couple of my heroes in the faith, including my dad and my granddad, 
And I remember as a boy sitting around talking, listening to their discussions and, you know, halfway sleeping, halfway listening. But I remember on numerous times, my granddad was a believer and uh, was considered himself as a minister, though it wasn't uh, as a pastor in a church. Dad, Dad's a pastor. And I remember them discussing, they, were talk, they would talk about folks who came to know the Lord, people they're witnessing to. But I remember one of the things that stood out in my mind as they lived their life, that they would pray together and talk and counsel together how to confront people. That there would be someone that would come into their life that was dealing with sin and, and, and that it was upon them to confront them. And I remember just thinking about that as a child because that stands out. You know, people talk about confronting one another. Um, it's usually something we shy away from. We, we don't go there. And now that um, God's placed me here, that's a definite part of what we do as believers, is how, how do you confront someone? Why should we do it to begin with? And if you're going to do it, what is the motivation? What is the attitude in which we do it? And so... Uh, that's, that's the idea here. And in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Brothers, he, Paul himself has taken on uh, uh, well, a much more gentle tone than the, oh, you foolish Galatians that we had heard earlier. And he's saying, no, yeah, you've been foolish, but you're still my brother. Uh, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. All right, so the idea is that it's almost um, surprising. You're, you're caught. It's uh, perhaps intentional, unintentional, but it's, it's known. It's not, you're not guessing, you're not wondering, you know that there is a sin that has taken place. And, and he leads them down what's called church discipline. Matthew 18 uh, speaks to this where ultimately if someone is unrepentant and die hard in their sin, that they're removed from the church membership. Uh, most folks today leave churches not because of sin, just as a thought. Most people leave churches today, but it's not because of sin. And uh, just something to consider. But he says here that there is the sin that is in question. And he says, you who are spiritual. Now, what does that mean to be spiritual? Is he talking about, all right, super elite in the church? No, he's not talking about the elite group. And in fact, we find in Scripture there shouldn't be an elite group in church. That There are those who have responsibility as leaders. Uh, but there is not a, a second tier of believers, that you're in Christ and you trust Him. And so what does this mean, you who are spiritual? Well, he's already described it for us in the book. He said, those who walk in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit of Christ. All right, uh, It's the idea that you trust and believe the Spirit of God is working and walking in your life, and that you do your part in being sensitive, trusting in Him, yielded in Him and staying in line with what the Spirit of God is telling you through His Word. Okay? This is what it means to be a believer. This is not the A-grade believers. This is what it means to be a believer. We do this because we would not want to follow anyone else. We love Him. And so, this is what's going on. These, these folks are the ones who are restoring. All right? That word restoring means to uh, set a bone back. It's like when it's fractured and, and, and you're putting it back in line. And so that's the idea is that when someone's in sin, they've been disconnected. They've been broken away from the standard of Christ, from the spirit of Christ. And, and our job is to bring them back. So it's no vindictive spirit at all whatsoever. And so this is what they do. Now, as I 
thought about this. I thought, it's rare, isn't it? Isn't it rare to be a part or to witness a brother restoring another brother or sister? I mean, how many of you have ever seen that? How many times have that happened? Has that happened this year? How many times have you seen sin this year? That's a pretty big difference, isn't it? And so the question I've asked is why? Why don't we do this? Why don't we confront people in sin? I thought of three, three reasons that I sometimes go to and I think might be common. First one, it's not my problem. Why should I go there? Why do I even want to get in that mess? Because it's I've got enough mess of my own. I don't need to be taking on other people's mess. I'm struggling. It's not my problem. I think about that. Uh, uh, we've got this this way of filtering. All right, we filter life, and we say, you know, this is what I'm going to deal with, and everything else, though it may be important, I just don't have the mental capacity to deal with. It, it's uh, it's the that field of the SEP field. Uh, this is an idea uh, made popular by the uh, the book Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe of someone else's problems filled of you know what I'm not, I can't focus on that. It's like trash. I mean, how many likes trash in their yard? I mean, how many of you like communities with trash? Yeah, let's just throw it all out. But when you're walking down the road and you see trash, it's amazing how you go right by. And not even notice it. I mean, it's kind of there, but you're not going to focus on it. Because if you focus on it, then what? Well, then I got to do something about it. I got to pick it up. I got to carry something nasty around. And so, there's too much trash. And if we did that, we'd be picking up trash all day and get nothing done. And so we create this strategy of someone else's problem. That's someone else will deal with it. It's a protection that we've got. We do that with other believers. We don't want to get involved with each other. And then here's another thought. Why don't I confront a brother or sister in Christ when they are in sin? I don't want to lose a friend. I don't. If I talk to them about that, then our relationship is going to be strained. It may, it may even cease to exist. I value that interaction too much. All right. Let's think about that. You value that interaction too much, that camaraderie. That you don't want to see them walk closer with Christ. You'd rather them keep them distance from Christ because of their own sin. As long as they keep giving to you that camaraderie. Is that love? Or is that just another form of selfishness? I remember um, in seminary I, when I was starting school, and um, you, you meet all kinds of characters in seminary. I, I look, I, I remember that, and I'm thinking, God, it is a miracle your church still exists. These are the people who are called into ministry. And I, really, I thought of that, and then I started looking at myself and thinking, someone's probably saying the same thing about me, you know. Um, but I remember this guy. He was he was an older uh, fella. He had once been a trustee at the seminary and had gone through some difficult stuff, and now he was a student in seminary. But I remember he just had this attitude. 
every time I was around him, he had this huge chip on his shoulder. And it's like he was better than everyone else. And it was condescending for him to talk to me or to anyone else or to even answer a question in, in class. And he was going to my dad's church. Um, and I was seeing this guy. And I remember one time, I just came up to him. I said, what's your problem, man? <laughs> just, I said, it just explained some of these same things I, I said with you. And it just took him back. And um, it was a long conversation. But at the end of it, he said, man, you're bold. And I'm thinking, no, I don't know if I was really bold. I just didn't care one way or the other. Honestly, I didn't really care one way or the other whether you liked me or not. And it gave me this luxury of just, dude, you know, you may not like me. But I'm going to tell you this because it's, it's, a, it's a problem. I'm just telling you this, and I'm not trying to lift that up as an example. I think there's a lot of bad things about what I did. But I think that maybe even when we confront someone, we, we only do it because we are annoyed so much. We are annoyed so much that we, fine, if you're never my friend, but at least change is our, is our mindset. That's not what we got here in the gospel. It's not that I don't want to lose a friend. It's like as Becky was singing, Christ means so much. Christ means so much. It's not to belittle the friendship. It is as Jesus said, that let your love be toward me, that though it seems that you hate your parents in comparison. In other words, it's not that I don't have any good friends. They may be dear and precious friends, but I care more that they know Jesus than whether they know me. How does that happen? I'm going to tell you that the gospel of grace comes in and your heart is stolen by Jesus Christ. Your heart is stolen by what He's done for you that you fall in love with Christ. That though you may love your husband, your wife, even your children, that you love Christ more so that when there is sin that comes in their life and they're caught in sin, there's a grieving in your heart because you love them and you love Christ more. And so you want them to know the joy of walking with the Lord. You see how the gospel can make bold people? I thought about there's one other thing that we tend to do. And, and not confronting someone else. We don't confront because, one, it's not my problem. Two, well, I might lose a friend. And three, we tell ourselves, what's it going to do anyway? What's it going to do anyway? It's not going to change a thing. Um, what's the point? Okay, what is the gospel again? The gospel is, you're not worthy. It's nothing that you've done. It's not because of your righteousness. God just saves you, wants to save you, gives you a right standing with Him, cleans you of your sin, and then also calls you what? Son. How do you know? How do we know that we're sons? According to the Word of God, we know that we're sons because the Spirit of God is working in our life. He is with us. And we trust that. We hope in that. We believe that. So what does that mean? That means when God's called me to do something, I'm not just doing something. The Spirit of God is working in me. So when I'm seeing sin, and I sense in my heart, 
what's there. And I'm being burdened in my heart for this person. I'm praying for them. I'm going through the, the various uh, checks in my own life. Then I talk to this person. My hope is not that my word's going to change anything. My hope is that the Spirit of God is going to use the Word of God to change their heart, to transform it to the glory of God. So, I could tell myself, well, what's it going to do? It's not going to change anything. And if it's in my own strength, you're exactly right. It's not going to change anything in my strength. But the Spirit of God makes it effective. You see how the Spirit of God, the gospel of grace can make us bold? It makes us so that we know that our heart and eyes and mind is right before the one who matters, God. And because our heart is right with the one who matters, He gives us the strength and the love and the ability to speak to others when they're in sin. You get that? The gospel of grace makes Bold believers. But how do you become humble and bold? Remember, I remember growing up in school and they were teaching, you've got to be assertive. Communication major, they said, you've you got to be assertive in interpersonal relationships. And, and what does that mean? Well, you don't, you don't let someone trample on you, which means that you've got to have good self-esteem. And so now our kids are brought up, raised with the concept of whatever you do, don't hurt their self-esteem. They gotta think well of themselves. Because that's the worst sin, is to teach them not to think well of themselves. And so they grow up with this mentality of it's all about me. Life is about me, it's about what I want. And if you trample on my rights, hey, I'm gonna be assertive and I'm gonna tell you how it is. Alright? Um, but we, we read this and, and read chapter six again, uh, especially as we read the last part of verse one. Restore and a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. Alright? We're not rude. We're not demanding. It allows for someone to easily repent and turn. How does this happen? Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. The gospel of grace comes in and tells us, hey, you know what? God's not working in your life because you're doing all these right things, because you're so disciplined in your life, because you've got all these great habits, because you know all this stuff. That's not why God's working in your life. God's working in your life because of the grace of God. So don't think of yourself as beyond falling. Because the thing is, that's how you got to be saved to begin with. (laughs) You fell. You sinned. And we have this mindset of repentance is just a necessary evil. No, repentance is a declaration of God's grace. It is something we rejoice in. Not we look as a necessary evil. We rejoice in it. We boast in our weakness. Because we can boast in the cross of Christ. And it's not that I've got my life together. God is saving me. And so I don't come to you with this mindset, man, I would never do what you just did. We come to you, each other, and say, you know what? I did what you just did, and God forgave me. He's changing my heart. Or I could easily have done what you've just did, except for the grace of God that's working in my life. 
It creates this, this humility. And, and so keep watch of yourself, lest you too be tempted. It's, it's the idea of 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Matthew 18, 15, Jesus gives an instruction of the church discipline. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Matthew 7, 1 through 5, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to one, your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So it's not a prohibition against judging, but to say, listen, when you are judging, make sure that you have your eye on yourself first. I think that if you change the word from judging to criticism, it seems a lot more prevalent, doesn't it? What's the difference? Criticize yourself before you criticize someone else. There's plenty of faults in your life. But it doesn't mean that you don't ever stop or you, ever, you, don't, you never start confronting someone. It's just you start with yourself. You start with yourself and you do a third job. I've found one of the most challenging things I ever do is talking to someone else about their sin. It is the most thoroughly self-examining thing, heart-purifying thing that I ever have to do is have to bring it to someone else because it demands that I look at my own life and see the grace of God at work in my life and express that same grace with humility. Notice verse 3. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. That's that great? That's, that's just conceit. When, when you think you're something, when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. Now, what is it that a believer has? How is it he can be humble and bold? He's humble because he realizes he's nothing, but he's bold because he has something. But he has something not because of himself, but because of God. I said, I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. I am of His. I belong to Him. But it's not because of me. And it takes the whole pride, arrogance out of it, the conceit. And I go because of the gift of God. So verse 3, he says, you know, you guys are, you know, verse 26, chapter 5, let us not become conceited. When you become conceited, you tend to provoke one another. In other words, I've got something you don't have. You know, we've got this mindset, this attitude of showing forth. And then the opposite, when you see someone, if you're constantly comparing yourself to someone else, and you're looking for that to validate yourself, and you see someone that has something you don't have, you what? You envy. You envy. The, the problem is that we are judging Ourself, our worth based on one another. I've shared with you before that it, it was in college when this hit me full force what I was doing, that I was spending my days doing nothing but comparing myself with every guy I met. I'd check him out and say, hey, yeah, I like his hair. Yeah, his, his hair's not as good as mine. You know. Making these little value statements, constantly comparing them, how they look how they perform, what they're doing. And except for God just helping me get through that and seeing it, I could spend the rest of my life 
doing nothing but that. So when I see someone that is more successful, better looking, more athletic, then my life is just, man, I stink. And a pity party all the time. Or then I get around others who may not be as good as what I think I am. And now I'm exalted. And you need to respect me. Call me yes sir. And, and do all the things that, that I think speak of this. It is harbored on this heart of comparing ourselves to one another. So notice what it says. Verse 4. But instead of, instead of thinking yourself something when you're nothing and deceiving yourself. But let each one test his own work. Alright. In other words, take your life, measure it by the Word of God. Measure it by the Spirit of God working the Word of God. Judge it by that. Take your own life. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. In other words, I don't feel so good about my walk with God because I'm behaving twice as good as someone else. I'm not saying cuss words as nearly as bad as, as Chris over there. <laughs> I didn't hear Chris saying. Okay, um, I we don't have this this measurement of man. You know, I hadn't lost my anger uh, as much as Harriet has. All right, and I, I don't I, with this constant comparative uh, that we tend to put ourselves down, and and we think, oh, God's gonna God's gonna think well of me because I'm not comparing myself to others, and, and instead we find that we are coming before God with our own life, not our life compared to someone else. Let each one test or prove his own work. It's the idea of gold being purified to meet a standard. Let your life meet the standard of the Word of God by the Spirit of God. Then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. So, the gospel of grace produces bold people but also produces humble and bold people. You see, the gospel births a whole new self-image. Do you get that? You can't be a believer in the same way that you're an unbeliever. You can't go apply, hey, I used to be good at all these things, and I'm just going to be good at church stuff. It gives you a whole new way of looking at yourself and looking at the world around you that produces a boldness and humility that God is working because of the gospel grace. Now, what's the point of all this humility? What's the point of all this boldness? Well, the gospel of grace produces humble and bold people to love others. To love others. Notice what, as we keep on reading, uh, going back up, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The burden is a heavy load. When someone's got a heavy load, come alongside and lift up. Now, what's interesting is that he's talking about sin. We know when someone goes through sickness, our church will do a fairly good job if you're in a small group where they'll find out what's going on. Hey, you got you get someone cooking for you? Helping with the kids? Let's, let's share the load. When we've got physical problems, financial problems... But isn't it funny how it's different when someone's going through sin? Oh, that's their own mess. They, they made their bed. They got to lie in it. You know? The Bible describes someone overtaken in sin as a burden. 
They're going through a hardship. Why is that a hardship? Because the greatest thing they could do is love Christ and know the joy of Christ and walking in the Spirit. So the consequent, the worst thing that can happen is when they walk away from the Spirit of God. It has all these consequences. And so you take it and you share the load. You bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the law of Christ is that law which Christ exemplified, that which he laid down his life for. It's the love of God. It's already talked about that you love God and you show the love of God by loving others. And so that's the, the, the encapsulating of the, all of the law is that we love God and love others. And so you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, you thought, well, Pastor, I mean, you were hitting pretty hard that we're not saved by the law. I mean, isn't that all of Galatians was about that? And now you're talking about fulfilling the law of Christ? What, what, what's the problem? Paul is hitting hard. You don't rely on the law of God. You don't rely on your ability to do it to save you. You rely on the grace of Christ, the spirit of Christ to save you. But when the saving works and the grace works, it comes out by doing the law. So the focus for us is never, all right, I want to teach you five ways of how to bear one another's burdens. I want to teach you five ways of how to confront someone. I want to teach you uh, five ways to produce joy in your life. It's not so much on the focus on how to do these things as much as it is how to have your life nurtured in Christ. How do you have your life nurtured in the Spirit of God? And these things flow out. And so the focus is Christ, your relationship with Him. Believe Him. Trust Him. Let Him live in your life. Wake up each day with the excitement and the joy and the hope of Christ in you. And let that work in your life. And it comes out in these ways, and it's the law of Christ. It's the law of love. So the whole point of this boldness and confronting one another and bearing one another's burdens and being gentle is so that you will love someone. Do you realize that the most cruel thing you could do is see someone in sin and not want to confront them so that they can keep on giving to you the feel-goods of that relationship. That's not love. That's manipulation, it's selfishness, it's not love. So the whole point, verse 2, is so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled in word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13.10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And so we come to verse 5, and we think, all right, bear one another's burdens. Well, now verse 5 says that we have to bear our own burden. What? what? Whose burden am I bearing, my own or someone else's? All right, understand this. First, you need to know that verse 2, burdens refers to a heavy weight. Verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. That word load refers to backpack. All right? Your, your, your backpack. All right? In other words... God has given to you your own unique opportunities, your unique responsibilities as a believer in Christ and where you live at the time that you live. That is your backpack to bear. God's not judging me according to gifts that I wish I had. God's not judging me or God's not holding me accountable to opportunities that belong to someone else. You know, I had a pastor friend of mine that came and told me, uh, and just help me, he said, you know, God wants to use you as a pastor that's unique to you. Not as a pastor like your dad, 
or a pastor like me, but a pastor unique to you. And it helped me understand God knows my abilities and personalities. He knows my strengths and weaknesses. He knows all the opportunities that's going to come my way. He knows my weaknesses. And he says, that's your backpack. You carry it. And you and you alone are accountable before God for the load of your life, the backpack of your life. But part of that backpack is that when you see a brother or sister with a burden to bear that's heavy, a weight, a stone of sin in their life, part of that backpack responsibility is you get out and you pray with that one, you share that load with them, you help them, and if need be, you confront them with humility and boldness. As I read this this chapter comes clear to me the church the church is totally unique it's not made up like a, a social club it's not the chamber it's not the PTA it's not a club like anything I know but it is a group of people have been so touched by Christ, by the Spirit of Christ, despite of who they are, that they care more about the Christ of someone else in their life than the barriers in between them normally. That's why I love to see people of different nations here. Because the bond is Christ. People of different backgrounds. Different educational bits. Because the, the bond is is Christ, and they come together and they say, I want to see Christ in you. I'm going to come on Sunday morning with the idea of seeing Christ in our body. And I care more about that than all the other good things we do so that if something jeopardizes Christ in you, I sense the responsibility of talking to you and confronting you and telling you Brother, sister, did you realize that when you did this or showed this attitude that this was in disobedience to the word of God in this passage? My heart has been convicted and grieved and I've examined my heart and I've been praying for you and I love you and I want to come alongside of you and help you to follow and trust in Christ. Do these words sound foreign? These words sound so far. Who talks like that? People who have had their hearts captured by grace. Let's pray.